In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Get ready. It's time for Motherhood Talk Radio, live on Toganet.com. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of the Motherhood Company, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Motherhood Talk Radio features the powerful voices of Christy Hawley, Robin Boyd, Linda Franklin, Tracy Austin, Danny Kiernan, Susan Haid, Lisa Dietrich, Susan Flattick Wilson, and our weekly correspondent, Doris Rivas Brecky. Together, these women bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s, from great parenting tips to moms living with cancer, and most importantly, how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here is your host, Sandra Beck. Hey, mamas. I'm here with Christy Holly and Doris Rivas Brecky, and we are doing a show today on relationships with food and eating disorders. I so have a relationship with food. That's okay. I have an eating disorder. <laughs> so, you know, we we um, we have a great guest today. We have Kathleen Rogers, and it was very funny because I, I met her recently, and I remember when her article came out in Family Circle. It was in the 90s, and you probably will go, oh, I remember that too, because um, it, it really did get a lot of airplay. It was called Dying to be thin. And um, I remember because at that point, you know, in the in the 90s, it was the early 90s, I was swimming, um, swimming to keep my weight down, swimming at college and uh, eating very, very little, sometimes in half an apple, sometimes a salad, that's all I would eat, and I would work out for a couple hours. And um, I remember that article coming out, Dying to be Thin, thinking, wow, you know, this is, this is kind of right up my alley. <laughs> a little light bulb went on, did it? A big light bulb went on. Good. Um, and I, you know, want to say to our listeners today that any of you that struggle uh, with your weight, struggle up or down, uh, mm-hmm. have, you know, a difficult relationship with food, uh, we're not here to solve problems. We're here to share our experiences and talk about what works for us um, and that we hope you find a solution that works for you because, you know, one of the things I know, Christy, and you do too, it's like we have talked over the years about every single diet book that comes out. That's right. Every weight loss book from Atkins to, you know, Lindora to Nutrisystem. And I know they work for some people. To my seven-day diet. Seven-day diet that you didn't show up for the show. (laughs) You bought the book. We did a show on it, and then you didn't do it or show up for the show. (laughs) I think Rick had to cover for you that day. That's right. uh, You know, but I'm currently testing out this sense of... Speaking of <laughs> sense of weight loss system, and again, you know, we're not saying that it's you know good, bad, or indifferent. I found shaking this stuff on my food to be a little creepy. Uh, just for me, I know it works for a lot of people. You tasted it. Yeah, it wasn't. Like, mm. <laughs> 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 I was sprinkling it in my mouth. Uh, yeah, no, I 
I have seen, there's lots of people that sell that. I didn't know it was advertised on TV until pretty recently. But, yeah, I don't know. I always thought it was a little strange, but, you know, that that's something that's not up my alley. But, well, here's the thing, and, and you know, and again, not a doctor, not a therapist, not a counselor, <laughs> just a person that talks on the air a lot, um, and no disrespect for Alan Hirsch, who is a doctor who clinically proved that this stuff works, Um when I got it in the mail, because there was an ad on TV that says for $4.95 you can do a free month trial. After that, it's like $89 for another, you know, two little jugs of this stuff. Um, but, you know, it's like sprinkling salt, but it's not salt on your food. And you're supposed to sprinkle it even like on grapes, even on, I mean, you don't put it in liquid. Ice cream, you can, I saw, I heard that. Yeah, but, I, you know, I was like sitting here going... I'm not supposed to be eating this. I know that. You know, it's like I had a banana split with my two little boys last night because it was the holiday, and, you know, um, they, uh, you know, they, um, you know, they just, wanted something special. And so they said, Mom, would we, can we make banana splits? And I said, okay, yeah, sure, we can, um, you know, make banana splits. And then I was like, okay, so do I shake this stuff on here? You know, so I can eat the banana split. And I'm like, no, I'm not supposed to be eating this in the first place. So, and they say sensible diet, you know, but if I had a sensible diet, I wouldn't be buying Sensa in the first place. This is true. (laughs) You know, so I don't know. I just got all confused. But it just creeped me out a little bit to sprinkle this stuff on here. And it has, like, maltodextrin and tricalcium phosphate silica. I don't know if that's plastic. To me, that's those plastic beads, but what do I know? Um, as long as it feels yet. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't. So I'm just going to literally weigh in and say Sensa, good for some people, not for me. The presentation was nice. The packaging's nice. Um, I just can't see myself carrying these little things and sprinkling stuff on food that I know I'm not supposed to be eating anyway. Yeah. It just seemed counterintuitive to a long-term successful relationship with weight. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. That's Like I said, that's not up my alley. A lot of things, pills, I've tried diet pills before, not my thing. I can't remember to take them until it's too late. Like, <laughs> oh, no. You know, and I know they're not good for you. It's yeah. like it, but, I, you know, I've tried them, and it's like I just wish. Sometimes I'm like I just wish that something would just work for me, but you know what? It, there's no magic out there that no. can do it. Eat I mean, less, move more. That's really, I know, you know. But it's interesting, you know, because I, I, I have learned over the years, though, like, you know, with the hydroxy cuts and the Xenadrine or however you pronounce that, I love to keep Xenadrine in my car because it's loaded with caffeine. And when I am so tired and I'm picking up my kids from school and I'm like, I cannot get to the grocery store, I cannot do another thing. Man, I take that Xenadrine <laughs> that's made for workout, I buzz through the rest of my day. It's, you know, it's like three cups of caffeine or three cups of coffee in there. Um, but I do use that sometimes when I'm really tired as an energy boost. But, yeah not working I, I don't do pills for weight loss either no no i right now i'm currently on weight watchers yeah how's that I'm, working out for you i'm doing good i'm not doing as great as i'd like to do but you know what 
I'm doing it. So, is there was there a girl in your the, like the hyper competitive girl in your group? You know, I went once after I had my second child. I went to Weight Watchers, and there was this woman in there. <laughs> and granted, I had like I don't know 25, 27 pounds to lose after my pregnancy, not too much. And uh, she was like, "Well, I lost seven pounds my first week, and then I lost five pounds, and then I lost six pounds, and I'm down like 27 pounds." And and I'm like, "You're insane. Go away from me. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what this program is about. Two pounds, two pounds, three pounds per week." You know, no, um, not yet. There's nobody. It's it's a new group here in town, and it's you know some older ladies. So I might be the competitive one. <laughs> oh no, you're the competitive one. Uh, yeah, you're the I, person I love to hate in these groups. <laughs> You know, but the, the time I did go to Weight Watchers, I mean, it really did help me because it, it, what I learned most of all was portion control. Yeah. And then I would, I go through like pendulum swings. I either overeat or I don't eat at all. And, um, you know, that's, I don't seem to have any middle ground. <laughs> I don't either. It's all or, you know, I'm working on it, but it's all or nothing. Yeah, all or nothing. That you know. is not a good way of thinking. No, and I used to blame the baby weight, you know, and and now I just blame myself because <laughs> I just can't seem to, I just can't seem to get it right. It's like if I get up, get the kids, have breakfast, then I skip breakfast, and then I get to my work day, and then I'm starving at eleven o'clock. I eat something I shouldn't, then I feel guilty, so then I don't eat again and make a nice nutritious meal for the kids, and then I'll snack at like eight o'clock. Even if it's just a you know a handful of kiwis, my eating habits are, are horrendous. Well, you got to change. Ooh, I, that. <laughs> I know, I know. I, well, I do the same judgment. thing. No, I do the same thing. I'll make the kids, you know, I get up, get their breakfast, a good breakfast usually, and I make their lunches for school. They don't buy it, and then I'm making dinner, but I haven't like. Breakfast is coming on. I'm like, oh, I guess I should eat that, but I'm drinking coffee and then I'm going. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh, I'm starving at lunch, and I'll either not make a good decision or not make a good decision. decision. <laughs> yeah, truly, really only two decisions there. I know, not good ones. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm still learning. Yeah. Well, it's hard. We get out of whack, and and that's you know that's. I think it's, you know, part of what most women go through these days. I'm going to go over to uh, uh, Doris for our motherhood news you can use. Doris, what do you got for us this week? Well, I have um, a, a nice, uh, what do you call it, heart heartwarming story, but it's also, uh, yeah, it's also informative. Uh, it has to do with kidneys. I mean, we're all talking about bodies right now, so uh, it has to do with kidneys and the kindness of strangers. Now, that kind of sounds weird, but anyway, uh, did you guys know that there's 90,000 people waiting for kidney transplants in the United States? Wow, 90,000. 90,000, yep, at any given time. And of those people, 4,500 will die this year waiting for a transplant. I know. So uh, this was on World News. Uh, you know, me and Diane Sawyer were buds. But <laughs> anyway, um, she talked about this man named Rick Ruzamente, who was the first link in this story that turned out to be the longest chain of kidney transplants ever that occurred. And he was just a stranger who woke up one day, I mean literally, and wanted to uh, help somebody with one of his kidneys. Now, I'm sure there's more backstory to that, but they didn't go. You know, it's only an hour show. So 
<laughs> anyway, um, uh, he donated a kidney to a totally stranger, you know, family. And then that family, in turn, because of what he did, someone in that family donated a kidney. And it started this domino effect where it ended up spanning four months' worth of 17 hospitals getting involved, 11 states, and a record 30 kidney transplants occurred, starting with this one guy. So then uh, how did it all come about? Because obviously there was a lot of organization involved. Well, there's this uh, totally cool guy named Garrett Hill, who, Sandra, you'll love to hear this. Well, you know, I hate to cut you off, Doris. i got to take oh. us to commercial break. Uh, oh. My name is Sandra Beck. I'm the host of Motherhood Talk Radio along with Christy Holly. Our News You Can Use expert is Doris Rivas Brecky. When we come back from break, we'll finish up and learn how these 30 kidney transplants came into place. And then we're going to welcome Kathleen Rogers, author of Dying to be Thin. And uh, she also has another great book we're going to talk about later on in the show. Stay with us. There's lots more great conversation to come on Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck right after these messages. Got my dreams, got my life, got my love. Got my friends, got the sunshine above. Why am I making this hard on myself when there's so many... The Trick to Getting Published with your host, Florence Blake. Friday nights at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Flo has seen it, done it, and now can share from her experiences as a newspaper staff reporter, feature writer, freelance editor, and college writing instructor. And now Flo has authored a system whereby her students enjoy a 90% success rate in attaining publication of their manuscripts for the first time. In just four years, she has over 800 of her own articles published in national magazines, newspapers, and anthologies. Author of several books, including the powerful memoir, The Sicilian Nobleman's Daughter, Florence has advised and edited professors, deans, PhDs, and hundreds of students' writings before submission. And now it's your turn. Join us Friday nights with your questions. Most of Flo's students say they've learned much and thoroughly enjoyed the journey. It's The Trick to Getting Published with your host, Flo Blake. Friday nights at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Girlfriend It is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. With your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriend It principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer. And my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out GirlfriendIt.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck. 
bringing you interesting, influential, and inspiring guests every week, helping you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Let's get back to the show. Here's Sandra Beck. Hey, Mamas. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Christy Holly and Doris Rebus Brecky. And before we went to break, we're talking today about uh, relationships with food and eating disorders. And Doris, uh, as part of her news you can use for motherhood, came up with a great pay-it-forward story. Uh, Rick Roseman, he did this unselfish act of donating his own kidney, which caused a chain of events to uh, have... 30 other people donate kidneys when there's a lot of people waiting online for kidney transplant. And, Christy, you know I'm going to ask this. I wonder how much a kidney, kidney weighs. I know. <laughs> donate a kidney, we lose seven pounds or something like that. Yeah. So, Doris, how did this all come about? Well, uh, there's uh, this really neat guy named Garrett Hill, and he's an ex-Marine with an MBA. And evidently, at one oh point... I got Jarhead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought of you when when I heard that. Anyway, uh, he had he has a 10-year-old daughter who needed a kidney a while back, and so he had to go through this whole organ exchange process, and he saw how difficult it was. So he came up with his own solution, which is now known as the National Kidney Registry, and it can be found at kidneyregistry.org. And so that's, he was the coordinator of all these people that ended up giving you know, the kidneys, and then uh, we got 30 transplants out of it. That's and the amazing. Sto- yeah, and the story ends with uh, Rick saying, you know what, if you believe in God, maybe that's why we have two kidneys so that we can give one. And he says uh, the amount of discomfort is nothing compared to all the good that you feel that you did, you know, from your heart. And he said if he had another kidney, he would donate it again. That is fantastic. What a hero. What a great yep. story. Yep. Thanks Thank for sharing you. that, Doris. That was really, really uplifting. Thank you. Um, and we have another uplifting guest today. We have Kathleen Rogers, and she wrote this just amazing, amazing article for Family Circle in the 90s that has been uh, just rolling around the web. Um, it's such a, such a powerful thing. I want to introduce to you guys today Kathleen Rogers. Kathleen, are you with us? Hi, Sandra. I'm here. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you. So we've got a tough topic today that's, um, you know, the butt of a lot of jokes. It's subject to a lot of media speculation. We look at the women in the media. We criticize Oprah if she's big. We criticize her if she's small. (laughs) We criticize her really for anything in between, and we see that with most women um, in the media. I I see it all the time um, on the web, and that just doesn't help things. So can you talk to us a little bit about your perspective, and and how did you come to write this article for Family Circle? Uh, Dying to be Thin came out July uh, 1994. I'd already sold two other stories to them, and I'd written freelance for Military Times. Uh, My husband was a pilot in the Air Force. Done all this other writing, but I had been writing around the issue. I had bulimia from age 14 to uh, 29, and bulimia is, you know, when you binge on a lot of food and then you purge it, whether it's uh, self-induced vomiting, laxatives, excessive exercise. But I wrote to my editor at Family Circle, and I was very nervous about contacting her because I thought they know me as this Air 
Force pilot's wife, and I write these other things. And within a week, I got the letter back saying, yes, we want the story. And I have to tell you, in 1994, I was in my early 30s, um, I was very nervous about, you know, coming out, about having bulimia. Because it's not a topic that, yeah, the whole gag me with the spoon and all the crude jokes. But for someone who has bulimia, it, there's a lot of shame. Uh, I suffered in silence for years till I got help. But once I went public, oh, my gosh, I, I have a passion now to speak about it. And um, it, it's out there. A lot of people suffer, and not just women. And it's not just young girls, not just young women. Um, I once met a grandmother in her, in her mid-60s years ago who had had it for 25 years. Wow. I believe it. I believe it. Because I think, you know, when I think of my circle of friends, Christy, and you're in that, and, you know, we think about our joint circles, all of us struggle with eating. All of us struggle with our relationships with food. Everybody has their different, like, tips and tricks and techniques, whatever. You know, and it's one thing that we we still talk about hush-hush between friends. Yes. Um, I will tell you, uh, one of the things that's interesting to me, I'm, I'm 53, I have been recovered since I was 30, and that was always my prayer. And when I was severely bulimic, God, please let me, please let me be better by the time I'm 30. But one of the things I'm doing, I'm writing a new novel called Johnny Come Lately, and my protagonist, her name is Johnny Kitchen. And what I really want to do in this novel, besides all the other stories and plots I'm trying to tell, I want to write about what it's like to live as a recovered uh, bulimic, as someone who had it. You know, I don't binge anymore and I don't purge. But every day when I get up, I make a choice. Because if I don't make that choice, I will step over the cliff and I will never come back. And so um, when we're talking about, someone earlier talked about portion control. Um, what I do is I do not count calories. I'm going to be quite frank here. Counting calories when I was in junior high is what helped get me in trouble, okay? It was um, being so strict with things. But I, I mostly try to eat healthy. But when we're talking about bulimia, we're, we need to go beyond the issues of food and weight and body image because for at least in my case, every case is different, Mine was wrapped up in, in deep, deeper things with family dynamics. I'd had an uncle that had passed. He was very young. My father left my mother. Subjects that no one likes to talk about to air the dirty laundry. But those were the things that, that helped manifest my eating disorder. Well, and I agree with you because I know when I, I was treated in college um, and one of the things that, that I learned from that was that, you know, my oldest brother at the time was sick with cancer, very, very sick, almost died, and, you know, changed our whole family dynamic. Eating was one thing I could control. Everything else was out of control. So if I was feeling bad and feeling bad that I'm healthy and alive, then I stop eating. If I... um um, you know, not feeling uh, great about things, then maybe I'll punish myself by overeating. I mean, it's really crazy stuff that you do, and you're not even aware you're doing it. Right. You're not aware, and it becomes a vicious cycle. And uh, I used to use the term, you know, once you're on that merry-go-round, it's very hard to get off. And I will say this, if anyone out there is listening right now, 
that has bulimia or anorexia, but bulimia is the, my specialty, if you will. Um, if I can get over bulimia, anyone can. It is the hardest thing I have ever done in my life, and I've written a novel. I've written many articles. I've buried a brother. But getting over, recovering from this deadly eating disorder is the hardest thing. But what I did is I made a choice. I wanted to be better. And um, by the time my sons are almost 27 and almost 25, and I also credit them once I had children, uh, taking care of a baby, it's pretty hard to uh, binge and then go into a bathroom and try to throw up and purge when you have a little baby that needs you and depends on you. And um, it was a very long road. I, I went to a psychiatrist for two years in Tucson, Arizona, in the early 80s. But he said to me the first time, there are no magic pills. This will be the hardest thing you ever do. And it, it, it took me years, lots of prayer. He gave me the tools. But um, it, it's, it's something that people that suffer from eating disorders, like any other kind of addiction, they may hate it, but while they're still doing it, it's a, it's a love-hate thing. You have to make a choice, and you have to decide that you want to move forward. And my motto became two steps forward, one back. If I took, let's say I binged and I purged, instead of sitting around, oh, my God, I, I'm a failure, I binged, I'm no good, what mm -hmm. I would do is say, okay, I binged, two steps forward, I'll do better tomorrow. Right. Um, and, well, and that's I a had really to, kind way to talk to yourself. Most of us don't talk to ourselves that kindly. We beat ourselves up. And that's one thing that I have learned and I'm still learning. I don't have the weight issue anymore. I beat myself up because my face is getting older. But you know what? <laughs> uh, I just lost a friend last uh, two weeks ago. Um, and it's amazing when you think about life and how fragile it is that every day is a gift. But uh, I would like to say to anybody out there, if you do have an eating disorder, please don't suffer in silence. Tell someone you trust and then try to get help. Well, and Kath, it's really hard to know. Like for me, I ended up passing out in the kitchen where I worked. I worked at the local kitchen and, you know, and I fainted at work. And it was like the third time I had fainted in, you know, two weeks. And that's finally when they sent me to the health center because I clearly wasn't pregnant. And um, I just wasn't eating enough. And, you know, I didn't. I wasn't even aware that there was an issue. Um you know, what are some of the warning signs? And we've got to go to break. Um, actually, you know what, I'm going to take us to commercial break, Kathleen, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the warning signs that come up that, that we have an unhealthy relationship with food or a full-blown eating disorder. My name is Sandra Beck. I'm the host of Motherhood Talk Radio, along with Christy Holly and Doris Rivas Brecky, who handles our motherhood news you can use. I'd like you guys to check out our website, motherhoodtalkradio.com. We are also available on iTunes under the same name, Motherhood Talk Radio. We have a cool Twitter account that's coming out, and we are looking for great guests this season. And uh, when we come back from the break, Kathleen Rogers, who authored the article in the 90s, Dying to be Thin, uh, is our guest. And we're going to talk about warning signs and how we can recognize that we have unhealthy relationships with food before it gets too late. Again, my name is Sandra Beck. I'm here with Christy Holly 
and we will catch you guys Stay after the us. break. There's lots more great conversation to come on Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck right after these messages. Renowned and gifted psychic medium, Sylvia Rossi, explores the mysteries of this life, the afterlife, and the unseen world that surrounds us all in the show called Make Contact with Sylvia Rossi, Wednesdays at 2, 1 p.m. Central here on Toginet. Sylvia Rossi with her special guests and other fellow psychics invite you to call in and make contact with the world beyond and get answers to your questions. Psychic medium Sylvia Rossi has been sharing her gift professionally for the last 17 years. Sylvia has made it her mission to help individuals and families understand their eternal connection to loved ones that have passed on, bringing relief and comfort to countless souls who have been touched by her gift. She's had the privilege of meeting and working with many psychologists who continue to recommend their clients to her when conventional methods have failed. Now it's your turn to make contact with host and psychic medium Sylvia Rossi. Wednesdays at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Togginet.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for you to be a rock star. Get ready to rock with Rock Talk and Kirk Deswalt and learn how to achieve rock star status in your industry every Tuesday afternoon at 2, 1 Central on Togginet.com. Craig Deswald is the creator of the Rockstar System for Success. Craig will share easy tips and strategies on how entrepreneurs and businesses can use outside-the-box marketing strategies to stand out from their competition. Each high-energy show will feature interviews with celebrity rock stars as well as business rock stars. For more on Craig, the show, and the Rockstar Marketing Boot Camps, check out the website, CraigDoeswalt.com so you can learn how to be perceived as an expert and celebrity in your field so more people can be you to buy your services and products. Then, get ready to be a rock star with Rock Talk and Craig Deswalt. Tuesday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on Togginet.com. Listen as your day unfolds, challenge what the future holds, trying to keep your head up to the sky. Welcome back to Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck, bringing you interesting, influential, and inspiring guests every week, helping you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Let's get back to the show. Here's Sandra Beck. Hey, mamas, this is Sandra Beck. Christy, you're going to kill me. You do not have a fat earlobe. <laughs> I turned off the phone. I didn't even know it. Okay, okay. well, you know, it's just very, um, oh, it's just one of those days. Yes. Well, Christy and I have been very publicly um, acknowledging of our relationships with food when we gain and lose, and we did our Fit to Strip Challenge last year, and I know since my mother died in September, I have gained like nine pounds, and, you know, I had worked so hard to take off, you know, the weight, and um, it's amazing what your changes in your life can do to your weight. You know, when I got divorced, I lost a lot of weight really quick, and then I put it back on, and then my mom died. And, you know, before that, I was going to the gym and really making a dedicated effort to eat healthy and to work out and have a really good, balanced lifestyle. And then my mom died and just completely fell off the wagon. And now, you know, in my 40s, I understand that I have a 
a very challenging relationship with food, and I have to monitor that. Um, but a lot of times, like in my 20s, you know, when I was sent to the health center at school uh, to talk to one of the counselors, it was because I had fainted a couple times at the commissary where I worked. And I had no idea I had a difficult relationship with food. I was just doing what the other girls did, you know, eat nothing, work out like a fiend, work out like a crazy fiend, and didn't even know that that was a form of control or punishment or, you know, coping mechanism. Um, Kathleen, how did you know that there, that it had gotten to the point where you needed you needed somebody to help you? Like for me, I needed to be pointed in that direction. Okay, um, uh, you brought up uh, the death of your mother, and I'm sorry uh, about that. just wanted to say that. Okay. Uh, I had had bulimia from age 14 on, uh, I want to clear up, I'm probably the old one here, but uh, when I first got bulimia, nobody talked about bulimia. Everything was about uh, girls who didn't eat anorexia. Okay, that was in the news. The term bulimia was not coined until 1979. I just thought I was a freak, that I would eat all this food and then in private throw it up. And, and then exercise like crazy, and I didn't know exactly what was wrong. I hadn't really heard that term much. Uh, I married a fighter pilot. We moved to Tucson, Arizona. Uh, when he would go fly and he was gone, that's when I would binge. I never binged in front of him. Sometimes I'd wake him in the middle of the night, and it's not something you can control. It's not like, oh, I just wish I had more willpower. You know, I called it the beast. I called it this dark thing that took over, and I had no control. And it was frightening. Um, but what happened for me is um, uh, when I would go into the bathroom, it would take me up to an hour or an hour and a half just to self-induce and throw up everything I had pur- binged on. And, and it became, the purging became, I called it the torture chamber. It was horrific what I did at the end uh, the last few years of bulimia, and I'm, it's not pretty, but I'm going to come out and say it, I, and I'm not giving anyone ideas because anyone can find out stuff. I had resorted. I had thrown up so much that the finger didn't work anymore. I'd almost choked to death on a spoon. I had resorted to using the looped end of an extension cord to jam down my throat. And um, it was those type of things. I had started losing a lot of weight. I started having black diarrhea, and I started having horrible, like, giant giant claws shredding my insides. Everything hurt. It hurt to sip water. And my mother called me late one night. I was a young wife. My husband was fine. Led this glamour. Here he was, a fighter pilot, so I had this, like, double life. I had everything I'd never had material-wise, and yet I was hitting rock bottom. And my mother called me one night, and I just broke down. And she says, what is it, the food problem? Because no one knew. And she says, I want you to get out of physician referral directory. You know, this is back in the old days before Internet. And I got out a phone book and just found, you know, an eating disorder specialist in Tucson, Arizona, Dr. Richard Popesky, and I mentioned him in my family circle piece. Um, and that's what it took for me is, to finally come out and say I have an is- uh, issue. But my first visit with him is when he used the term bulimia, and that's when I finally, you know, had a name for what was wrong with me, that I wasn't a freak, but that there was an actual term. But uh, it's, I didn't want anyone to know I was going to see a psychiatrist. 
uh, because there was still a stigma. And then my husband was a fighter pilot, you know, to help his career and yada, yada, yada. But um, I, re- I really did hit rock bottom, and uh, I'm glad I did because it scared me. But um, I also want to say I'd gone to therapy for two years, spent a lot of money. And in 1983, my little brother Larry was killed. He was 20 years old. He was killed uh, up outside of Farmington, New Mexico, um, in a terrible tragedy. Uh, he was on a mountain in a car, and he went over. But I felt so guilty for being alive, and my little brother was dead. He was 10 days away from turning 21. And at the funeral home, the night before the funeral, after everyone else left the room, I, I knelt down before his casket. Of course, it was closed. And I made my brother a promise, and I said, Larry, I will stop wasting my life. I will get better, meaning the bulimia, and I will start writing again. Because back then I was wasting my life. I wasn't writing, wasn't going to school. And, um, and six months after my brother's death, I sold my first freelance story. And the second freelance piece I sold was about my brother. So uh, we were one of six children. I, to this day, I feel like I've... I've uh, um, I'm getting choked up here. I feel like I have kept my promise to my brother, Larry Lynn Doran. And um, anyways, and, uh, you know, years ago after the Family Circle piece came out, I went out and I talked to drill teams and I talked to church groups and anybody that would listen. And after about two years, I got exhausted and I thought, oh, my God, I can't keep talking about throwing up and binging <laughs> and you know, and, and diarrhea and laxatives. and, and uh, But then I took a break, and, and I wrote my other novel, The Final Salute, about fighter pilots. But deep inside, I thought, I'm not finished with this topic. And so the novel that I'm trying to finish by this year is Johnny Come Lately. And um, I'm excited because I'm trying to talk about bulimia in ways that I, quite frankly, haven't read about in magazines. There's so much more out that needs to be said um, about, and also about recovered bulimics. Um, I know I'm not the only one walking around, you know, the walking wounded, but, um, and I will say there's still social issues with eating. The other day I met with some friends, some classmates, and I'm still very careful about my food choices. And, you know, I will not get something that, um, there's a lot of food. I, I don't do donuts nowadays. That's a joke uh, that I don't do donuts. And I'm going to talk about donuts in my novel, but donuts are one of the few foods that I abused. And I use that term abused because that's what I did with food. I abused it. And, um, and, and, and what it was when I was bulimic is what I didn't realize is I was depressed, but I didn't know I was depressed, so food... Food was what I turned to. Well, and I think that's, I mean, food and what you turn to, I think that's probably, when I look at our mothers that listen to our radio shows and the mothers we work with, that's like 90% of our existence with, you know, running around with our kids, very thankless job a lot of times, you know, husbands are working long hours, you know, a million reasons under the sun, and and it does comfort you to sit down and eat some food. Mm -hmm. And I, and you know, when my sons were young, oh my gosh, it's kind of ironic that I'm the one that had the pantry full of cookies and candy for the kids and 
soda pop. And But it was also a challenge for me to be able to live. I did not want to deny my children a childhood of, oh, my God, because I was bulimic. You can't, we cannot have sugar in the house. And I remember uh, my kids used to love that I would make brownies. And I'm not a big cook cook or a big baker, but I used to make brownies. And you know what I called them? It sounds dorky, but... Um, <laughs> I, I wrote this for, and, and also I wrote Dying to Be Thin, another article for Virtue Magazine, a Christian women's magazine, but I called my, the brownies my victory brownies because when those pan, the pan of brownies would come out, and I always slapped a lot of frosting on them because my kids like the frosting, almost like a cake. Hmm. I could sit down and I could eat a brownie, but now here's the other thing. I don't ever stand in my kitchen at my counter and eat. I don't eat out of a bag. When I have food, I take it. Like, I'll cut a piece of cake or whatever it is, and I put it on a plate. And if I'm going to have, like, a healthy chip, I do eat chips, but I go for the healthy ones, you know, um, multigrain or, low, you know, the olive oil or whatever. Um, I don't eat out of a bag. I will put them on a plate or in a small bowl. And then I also celebrate my food. And by that, I know what I, I, know what I ate yesterday, and I know what, have I, what I've eaten today. I don't write it down. I know it in my head because that's how I survive. That's how I don't ever go back. And I'm not saying everything's a trigger, but I, I, I'm, on the, I'm on the far side now of being bulimic. But I do know that all it would take is, is a crisis or something traumatic for some recovered bulimics, and they're right over the cliff. It's like an alcoholic, except here's the difference. When you are a recovered alcoholic, you usually don't touch alcohol. With someone with anorexia or bulimia and you're recovered, you still have to eat food because food is what, food is our energy. Food is our fuel. So when I look at food, it, it, food, can't even say, it's my fuel. It's not uh, an, a, a reward. I'll go to a Pier 1 and buy candles. That's my reward. I'm a, I have a candle fetish. <laughs> I don't want to burn the house down, but I reward myself that way. And now, ladies, I do still like my dark chocolate every day. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what, Kathleen? I need to take us to commercial break. I want to thank you so much. Um, we've still got another segment to go, but I want to thank you so much for all you shared this segment and prior. Christy and I have been looking over each other. I'm like, I'm going to cry. No, I'm going to cry. Yes. Because it just resonates with all of us. And for those of you listening today, if you are suffering with a relationship, an unhealthy relationship with food or an eating disorder. Uh, there is no shame in getting help. In fact, we all have been there at one point or another. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk to Kathleen about some more of her coping mechanisms because I already thought about plating stuff up and stop eating out of a bag. Stay with us. There's lots more great conversation to come on Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck right after these messages. I am beautiful no matter what they say. Words can't bring me down. I am beautiful in every single way. Yes,
it's time to capture the simple piece of the Amish in your own life. Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods-Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central. Each week, Suzanne will have conversations with guests about living a life that incorporates principles of the Amish without going Amish. She'll cover the practical, simplicity, slowing down, reducing clutter, putting the brakes on materialism. The historical, how have the Amish survived for 400 years? How can we hold on to what we hold dear? And the spiritual, treasuring important values, honoring the past, and increasing peace of mind. You don't have to become Amish to make personal peace a reality. Amish wisdom will help all of us live a simpler life. For more information, go to SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. With Amish wisdom, Suzanne offers us a glimpse into a world of peace, serenity, and total commitment to family and God. This show just might change the way you live your life. It's Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Motherhood Talk Radio with Sandra Beck, bringing you interesting, influential, and inspiring guests every week, helping you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Let's get back to the show. Here's Sandra Beck. Hey, mamas. Today we are here on Motherhood Talk Radio with Christy Holly, Doris Rebus Brecky, and myself, Sandra Beck. And our guest today is Kathleen Rogers, who wrote an outstanding article in the 90s called Dying to be Thin. She's come out very publicly to talk about bulimia. She's also been an inspiration for me to talk about my own issues with food in my college days. And I chose the not eating route. I didn't choose the bulimia route, but I was treated for an eating disorder at that time. And what I loved about what Kathleen said today was that it it's something that you take with you every day. She's a recovering bulimic. Um, I still have a strained relationship with food. Christy, I think you do too. And uh, Kathleen, um, you know, you talk about some of the coping techniques that you used. Christy raised a good question at the break because a lot of what we know about bulimia, we only see from like lifetime movies and TV shows and, you know, it's not that dramatic not eating. I mean, that doesn't show for good TV. It's like, oh, look, she's not eating again. Um, but bulimia has a good airplay because it's, it's physical. And I'm curious, and so is Christy, when, like, what kind of foods did you choose? And was it something that you did in a group? Was it something that you did privately? Was it, you know, did you hide the packaging? I mean, how, how do you do it? I mean, not that we're teaching people. We just want to understand. 
Okay, Sandra, Christy, a typical morning for me in my early 20s when my husband was in the Air Force and he would leave to go to the base. A typical morning, it's not that I planned them. Every binge was to be my last binge because I hated it. I hated it. But uh, on those mornings, it's like this thing took over and, and, and this urge. This, uh, you, I was compelled. And I would go in the kitchen and I would grab anything that usually, usually go for like carbs, um, high fat or ice cream, cookies, chips. Like comfort foods or party yes, foods? Yes. Uh, if, if there were leftovers like mashed potatoes, that kind of thing, if I didn't have that much stuff in the house, I hated it, but I would throw on some sweat. It didn't matter what time of the year. And in Tucson at 101, you know, 105 out. Uh, and I would, I remember going to this one bakery and, and it's like you're pretending that you're getting it for someone else because you're so embarrassed. You're so full of shame. I went to a little 7-Eleven down the street. Now, here I was a distance runner running six to eight miles a day, but I drove, you know, half a block down in the car and embarrassed because no makeup on, but it's like, a, and then you would come home and, and I would tear into my food in private. Now, tear, because what bulimia is, and some of those movies, I don't watch them much anymore, but it is a very violent eating disorder. When you think about what you do when you stuff all the food in quickly, but, oh, my God, when you're in the bathroom and you're purging, it's violent. And what it does to the body. The other thing that scared me is my therapist said to me on that first visit, how much danger, how, how, how unhealthy it is, what, what purging does when you're vomiting, what that does to the esophagus. And, and quite frankly, I always thought that someone would find me dead in the bathroom because after I would purge, oh, my God, I can't tell you, my throat was raw. I felt like crap. And, um, and everything was done in private, and there was so much shame. But it was because of the shame that it took me a while to get help. And uh, um, so anyways. Well, did your, did your husband know about this? Yes. You know, you were Good you question. Were when Tom and I got married, uh, when we first started dating, I was 19 when I met him, and I, after a few weeks, I remember one night on the phone, I told him, not in person, on the phone, I said, I'm going to tell you something about me, and you're probably never going to want to see me again because it's, I'm a freak and it's weird, but I told him about my deal with food, and he did not turn me away. He did not reject me, but it's like, you know, here was this fighter pilot, professional, but he didn't, it's not that he didn't want to hear about it. He didn't know how to deal with it. And so it's like we pretended. He would call me from the squadron or come home from work, you know, how was your day? And that was our little key here. If I said I had a good day, it meant I didn't binge. If I said I had a bad day, it meant I binged. And one time he came home, he had driven halfway to the base, forgot something, came back, and he walked in that front door and he caught me in the kitchen in the middle of a binge. And ladies, I'm telling you, I might as well have been with another man because the feeling I got was, a shame that's hard to even describe, and I'm really proud because I've written a scene like that into the new novel where a hu the husband comes home and finds Johnny standing over a... She's quickly frying hamburger meat, and she's in a ratty nightgown. You know, you don't get yourself all made up to go binge either. At least I didn't. It's, it's a very ugly, violent, private um, eating disorder, and but when you're in the middle of it, you you want out, but you don't know how to ask. And um, 
I just felt like I clawed my way out, but I did get help, but it took a long time. It was, there's no magic pills. What do you think was the, what was the, the biggest thing that helped you? Was it, was it just knowing that you, like, was it relief when you finally came forward or was it, like, what, what helped? When I, when I made that phone call, uh, when I made the phone call, I, I remember this lady answered the phone at like a receptionist, and she couldn't see me, but here she's just a voice on the phone. But even then, I felt shameful. And when I finally went in and realized, okay, there is something wrong, and, it, and, and I need to get help, and I'm not a bad person, you know, I haven't killed someone. What I was trying to do was kill myself with food. I didn't, you know, that was the other thing is I was slowly committing suicide. You don't like to think of it that way, but truly, you're, you're hurting yourself when you do this to your body, but you don't think that. For me, it was many, many things that helped me get better. I like to say that my brother's death was a huge wake-up call, although I'd already been to therapy. And, and I don't know what would have happened if I had not had children, but I'm telling you, my sons, I do today, I, I think they know this, I credit them with part of my healing. When you're living for someone else and not just yourself, uh, so I I just feel very blessed that I'm still here, and no one gave it to me. I did have to work it, and I had to earn it, and I had to do the work. Sounds you know all clinical and stuff, but I did have to do the work, and by doing the work, that meant that every day I had to, every minute I had to make a decision in the early years of recovery. Now you know I don't think about it every second but um now for instance i went to my my uh, nine-year-old cousin's birthday party the other night they had a big chocolate cake we had pizza i had one piece of pizza some salad and i had a piece of chocolate birthday cake and a glass of wine now in the old days that one little piece of chocolate cake would have set me off and i would have gone to the birthday party and then come home and then gone out and got all kinds of food, and, and I would have binged. Now it's like, okay, so I had a piece of cake. I'm good. I'm going to stop at the one piece. I'm good. And, and the other thing I do, I don't go all day without eating. I don't sit down at 8, noon, and 5. My hours kind of vary, but I usually have some kind of breakfast and then some kind of lunch and some kind of dinner or little mini snacks and then... Um, But, uh, you know, I don't reward myself with food, nor do I punish myself and withhold myself from food. Those are the two things that I think people, uh, especially women, beat themselves up with. We either either reward ourselves with food or we withhold and don't eat. And um, I don't know how to explain it to anyone. I just know that that, um, it was the hardest thing I've ever done, and... Here's what I want to offer anyone that's suffering from either bulimia, anorexia, overeaters, people that just eat way too much and don't binge, um, is that there hope that um, there's hope out there, but suffering in silence is truly, um, you know, I like to say I like to open that closet door and take a big old flashlight and shine it into the darkest corner because when you do that, usually all those little uh, boogie monsters aren't as bad as you think they are, you know. And um, 
I was going to say too, I had someone tell me the other day, well you're 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 too thin. I am five foot four, I weigh about hundred and twenty eight pounds. Now I carry my weight differently and as as I've gotten older my face has thinned out. But I'm almost getting the opposite now, instead of someone saying, Oh well you, you need to lose some weight, you're too heavy now people their comments are, Oh, you look too thin. Well, I weigh more now than I did when I was suffering. So it's, and with age, you know, things kind of drop, but. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> gravity hits. <laughs> well, you know, Kathleen, I just want to applaud you because you've taken a very, very difficult and private topic and you've brought it out into the public so that the rest of us don't have to feel afraid anymore. We don't have to feel alone. You know, one of the saddest things I heard you use the term freak today because you think you're the only one. We've all been in that situation no matter what demons we're wrestling with. That feeling of being alone, that feeling of not knowing what is wrong with you, um, that I think is the hardest part. And you've been such a love to walk us out of the darkness with this and share your experiences so that, you know, maybe somebody listening today can it can get help before it gets to the point that it's out of control or heaven forbid they lose their lives. Um our relationships with food as women in this American culture, in this society, you know, and everything we go through, you know, Kathleen, I think of them saying, You're too big, you're too small. You know, I look at you and I think you're beautiful just the way you are. I see the same with Christy, you know, and myself, but it's one of those things that we have to make peace with, and a lot of us need help in making peace with food. I want to thank Kathleen Rogers for being our guest today and sharing with us her poignant and beautiful story. I want to thank Christy Holly and Doris Rivas Brecky, and also for TogiNet. I know John, the owner of TogiNet, has lost something like 65 pounds right now. Uh, Carrie wow. Martin, another one, lost about 35 pounds. She's been doing Zumba. Good job. We are really proud of the uh, weight loss efforts and the weight control efforts because not everybody has to lose. Some of us have to gain. Uh, My name is Sandra Beck. I'm the host of Motherhood Talk Radio. We'll be back again next week with another great show. Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck. Motherhood Talk